Hey, on behalf of the No Water Methodists, I uh, just want to say I'm glad you're checking out our podcast. We are an excellent ministry here in the heart of No Water, Oklahoma. Proud of the work that we're doing here among God's people. And uh, glad you've checked this one out. This is going to be the Sunday message from this last Sunday in which we are currently uh, studying Colossians. We've made it in, covered chapters 1 and 2. If you haven't caught those, go back. Uh, we've just had them come out every week. This is going to be chapter 3, where we really dig into what's kind of a, a hard concept for a lot of Christians, which is uh, we are not antinomian, which means that uh, it's not a free-for-all. We don't get to just do whatever we want, um, but also we're not legalists, which is to say it's not about checking off uh, a list without any kind of heart change. It's, it is about a religion, and it's about a relationship. It's a both-and sort of thing. So chapter 2 ended with Paul correcting them for being real legalistic about it and kind of snobby, but now he's going to guard against the excesses of antinomianism and actually go through some really helpful lists of vices and virtues that help believers to navigate, okay, am I walking rightly with God? So I think it's a super practical, super helpful chapter. I think you'll agree. I hope you enjoy wading through these waters with me. And if it is a blessing to you, uh, as always, I want to urge you to consider the ways in which you can be plugged in to a true local church, truly, um, but also the ways in which you can support this church as a church that is lifting high the the, the cross and banner of Jesus Christ. Um, if there's ways that you can hold us in your prayers, if there's ways that you can come alongside us in ministry, if you live here in Nelwada, Delaware area, if there's ways that you could actually be a part of this fellowship and, and join hand-in-hand hand with us, pray about it. Think about it. So attend upon God's Word with me. May, uh, may His Holy Spirit speak very clearly to you in this time. We're picking up in Colossians chapter 3 today where we left off last week. We're on page 1831 of your pew Bibles. Things to remember about Colossians. This is a letter written by Paul from prison. He's in prison in Rome. He's writing this at the same time that he writes Philemon. Philemon is, we're going to cover this after we read Colossians. It's to a slave master. Uh, and so we're going to talk about slavery, not next week, but the week after. Um, we only have two more weeks, I believe, until Lent begins. So um, anyway, so this is in the, the same setting. The fullness, uh, the, the concern so far has been establishing Christ, reestablishing Christ at the center of their lives, and rebuking this kind of what it would be called Gnostic notion that between us and Christ Jesus are all these heavenly powers and thrones and principalities and authorities that we have to satisfy in order to be in relationship with Christ. He, he roundly rebukes that in chapter 2, which is what we covered last week. So anytime that you tear down, you need to build up, Right? A lot of scripture is tearing down. A lot of scripture is tearing down. There's more tearing down scripture than there is building up scripture. Because so much is erected by Satan in our lives that needs to get demolished. And the Holy Spirit loves using that sledgehammer. Oh boy. But you can't just break things down. You need to build them back up too. You need to let people know, okay, if not this, then what? If, if you have kids and you're constantly correcting them, but you're not teaching them the right thing to do, that's really going to discourage them, right? So here's, he's writing as a spiritual father to this kind of backwater town. This guy, Epaphras, uh, received the good news from uh, Paul in Ephesus, and then he took it to the inland, modern-day Turkey, where he uh, has been making disciples in this town as Colossae, but also 
Laodicea and Hierapolis, they're all down in this river valley that uh, nowadays those towns don't exist anymore because, or uh, Colossae doesn't anymore because it had a terrible earthquake and everything got covered over. But um, these, this is a backwater. He's telling them about what true faith is. He's dressing them down for some stupid beliefs. He's building them up in true belief. Chapter 3, he's just gotten done tearing apart this Gnostic faith that's trying to take root there. He's now going to tear down a little bit more. And he's going to build up a bit more. And the, the key thing we need to understand on the front end is worldly people and people of Christ are not the same. They're very different. They have different natures. They're governed by different principles. And so the church needs to have a countercultural witness no matter where they are on earth. We, it's a very hard time for us to do this because most people are raised with the implicit assumption that if you are an American, you are a Christian. And that is a lie. It's not true. I love being an American. I don't want to live anywhere else. Well, I want to live in the kingdom with Jesus. There's no hand. But here on earth, there isn't anywhere else I want to live. But America is not heaven. America has cultural values that offend the Lord. It's not that God is indifferent to America. God hates many things in our culture that we need to stand against and rebuke. Our leaders, as well as our people, are guided by worldly principles that are an offense and an affront to God. And so we need to let the scriptures correct us in our culture. If we come going, oh, we're part of the best nation, we're God's shining city on a hill, this is for those people, you know, somewhere else, then you're not hearing scripture. Scripture is convicting and condemning American culture today. So we need to let that hit us and then demolish what needs to get demolished and then build up what needs to be built up. So let's, let's start with that in mind in verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. He's talking about this like it's already happened. Have you been raised with Christ? Y'all remember reading over Romans chapter 6 last week? When were you raised with Christ? Baptism symbolizes the spiritual circumcision. You remember that in chapter 2? Where was that? Oh, that was in <laughs> verse 11, chapter 2. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in a baptism, in, in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through your faith in the working God, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So he's saying, and then in Romans 6, he says, should we continue to sin so that grace may abound? He says, no, that's ridiculous. Those of us who have died to sin can't continue to participate in it. Rather, we've, we've died to sin, we've died in Christ, and we've been raised with Christ. That's the reality here. So he begins with, since then you have been raised with Christ. A lot of people will go, wait, I don't remember that. It happened. If you have entered the covenant community of faith, if you've been baptized in Christ, if you've been convicted and saved of your sins, if the blood of Christ Jesus has been applied to your hearts, you've been raised with Christ. Well, what if I don't identify as a raised person? We live in this funny area, era when people identify as certain things, as though you can determine your own state. I identify as a fish. No, Pastor Jeffrey, no, you're a human. And if Christ has made his purchase on your life, if you have gone through this period of initiation into the covenant community of Christ, then I honestly don't care if you're still, well, not a, who cares what I care? 
Jesus doesn't care if you still persist in sin and feel like, well, I must, must not have happened. Uh, I got to get baptized again or again, or heck, it was real and then I fell away and then now I need to... No, we believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. If you fall away, that's really too bad. Repent and come back. Remember when uh, Jesus was going to wash their feet, the apostles' feet, and they, uh, uh, Peter said, uh, no, uh, <laughs> I, I can't let you do this. And Jesus said, unless you let me wash you, you have no purchase with me. And he says, well, wash me all over then. Let's just have a big sponge bath here. And Jesus says, no, if you've already been washed, then you only need to have your feet washed from time to time. And that's the nature of faith. Have you been initiated? Have you been washed? Yes. Okay, well, then we need to keep washing your feet over time. But you don't need to go through the whole rigmarole over and over again. He's talking to people who've been initiated into the church. He's writing to the church. These are Christian people. He's saying, you've already been initiated, so you've been raised with Christ. And if that's the case with you, set your hearts on things above. What's above? Heaven. Set your things, hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So yes, God is omnipresent through the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father in the highest heavens. That's not where he's always going to be, and we're going to come back to that. But for right now, our hearts, our thoughts, our concerns. Does anybody have a brain that's always like working? Yeah, you do, otherwise you'd be dead. So you have a brain, it's always working and thinking on things. How much of that personal time, effort, energy, anxiety that you have is spent on heavenly things and how much is spent on earthly things? Admit it, you sinners, your brain needs to be up there. Your mind, your thoughts, your concerns need to be up there. As I mean, I'm pointing at myself too, guys. But the thing is, he says, if we are remade creatures in Christ... Our hearts should be with him where he is. Our minds should be with him where he is. He is making this distinction between worldly people and heavenly people, hopefully us, and we need to hear this rebuke. How much of my time, energy, anxiety is spent here and now around this fallen world, and then how much of it is with Christ? Verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You hear the exclusivity there? Do this, not that. Up there, not here. Verse 3, for you died. Once again, a lot of, I don't identify as a person who died. You better. You're dead. That old way of life, it's behind you. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What an interesting word to say. I, I, I used to wish that it said is kept there, but it says hidden. How is my life hidden with Christ? Reality is, other people can't see it. Christians walk through the world, true believers walk through the world, and worldlians don't know which of us is real and which of us isn't. We live in a world of counterfeits, don't we? We got a lot of people who say they love Jesus, but they're not born again. They're still walking according to the flesh. They're still dead in their sins. And the world, of course, cannot tell. Crazy enough, sometimes we can't tell. Sometimes people can fool us. It's crazy the number of Christian leaders that seem legit and are revealed only later as being false. And that can really destroy people. But the reality is our lives are hidden in Christ. If you are saved, there's no way to, to validate that so that everybody has to admit, oh yeah, Chris is good. The only way that it gets revealed, if we go on, verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, 
then you also will appear with him in glory. So he is, he's hiding these. These things are hidden with him right now, but when he appears, when is that? The day of the Lord, the day of judgment. Uh, he's going to appear up there. And then the scriptures tell us, 1 Corinthians says, in an instant, we will all be changed and receive our heavenly bodies. And in his letter to the Thessalonians, Paul says that we will rise up in the air to meet him. So I like that. I like imagining that we hear trumpet sound, we look up and there's Jesus, and then all of us are changed, and then some of us start floating up. That's when we are going to be revealed with him. That's how we're going to be revealed with him. It's going to be the most vindicating and terrible moment of all of human history, and what follows is even going to be even more terrible. The question is, are you right with Christ Jesus? Are you a worldlian or a Christian? That's the only thing that matters. And we, the world tries to convince us there's other things that matter, there's things that we need to negotiate, you know. No. All that matters is when Christ appears, will you be revealed with him, or are you going to be left in this world that's going to burn? All right, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So we're going to have this dualism. You've got heavenly, light, truth, good, God, worldly, Satan, evil, bad. Now, I need to back off from that for a moment just to say I know it's a little more complicated than that scripturally. The reason I say that, Jesus says whenever someone repents and returns into the fold of Christ, there is a celebration in heaven. There are ways in what hap that what happens on earth impacts what happens in heaven, and vice versa. And vice versa, the heavenly rebellion was coupled with an earthly rebellion. These two realms are tied. Even so, the question is, are we taking our cues from God or taking our cues from the world around us, the world of flesh and blood? That's the main thing that we're coming to here. But I don't want someone to listen to me, this black and white thing, and go, well, actually, Jesus, I understand it gets a little more complicated than that. The purpose of the clarity here is to get you and me reflecting on our lives, how much of my life is a reflection of the culture, the damned world around me, and how much of it is a reflection of the culture of Christ and the peace and truth I know through him. So put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, whenever it says put to death, I want you to be thinking of yourselves, I want you to be self-identifying as cold-blooded killers. But your enemy, remember Paul says in Ephesians, is not of flesh and blood. We're not called to kill other people. Other people are made in God's image. We trust God to handle them. What we declare war against is the powers, the principalities, the forces of evil and darkness throughout the world. We are called to spiritual murder. We are called to kill these fools because they seek to kill us. And what's going to come through this is you kill the sin in you, otherwise it will kill you. It is kill or be killed between you and sin. See, walk with that through this text. He says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he has a vice list. Vices are the opposite of virtues. Vices are bad qualities. Virtues are good qualities. So you, born in sin, had vices that still want to linger and hold on to. And you got to kill these fools. One is sexual immorality. The Greek word is porneia. It is any sexual activity outside of one male, one female, in a marriage covenant till death. Any sexual activity other than that is an affront and a sin to God and estranges you from God. You are dancing with the devil 
if you are persisting in sexual immorality. We live in a culture where it's very normal and people don't feel, well, at least I'm not gay. It is a lot bigger than being gay, folks. Anything outside of that marital covenant with a man and a woman is a sin and an affront to God, and it doesn't matter if the culture is okay with it. We should not be. I got zero amens to that. We're awash in this culture that normalizes sin, are we not? And we have to let our hearts be torn and rendered the way that God's is by our rebellious willfulness. So yeah, first and foremost, put aside pornea, sexual immorality. Kill it. He doesn't say put it aside. That's too polite. Kill it. Kill sexual immorality. What verse are we in? We're in verse uh, five, five. Thank you. Impurity. So that's a larger category. That is not just sexual, but impurity is mixing light with dark, good with bad. God does not compromise, nor should we. Don't carry anything impure in your life. Put aside lust. That's, of course, the experience that leads to sexual immorality. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Jesus acknowledges, yeah, we have feelings that lead us in a certain direction, but if they cause us to sin, kill it. Man, the Bible's a violent book, isn't it? Kill these forces, cut these things off, gouge them out. Is the Bible G-rated? No. <laughs> People act like the Bible is like a Disney movie or something. Oh, it doesn't speak to me. Where It speaks exactly to where the world is. Put aside sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. That's a big, broad category, isn't it? And greed. Is greed a big deal? Folks, our nation is built on greed. This is one of the main ways that America is corrected by the scriptures. It's built on greed. Another word for it, what, uh, children, what is the tenth commandments? Tenth commandment, you shall not covet. Covet is wanting stuff you don't have, right? That's greed. How big a deal is greed? It says, uh, put to death all these evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Is idolatry a big deal, kids? Let's, let's say the, the first of the, the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. That's idolatry. He's saying these things, these sins are connected. If you make room for greed in your life, let me tell you something. Being a parent shows you how inbuilt this is in someone's sin nature. My kids, anytime one gets something, they want it. The others want it. Well, she got so. How come I don't get and then you, as parents, become slaves to this. Okay, we can't give one to the, without giving one to the all. Because then they get greedy, and there has to be this corrective with kids and with ourselves and with the people that we love. Stop being greedy. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon is the desire, that greed for things, for stuff, for wealth, for money. That is going to kill you. So you kill it. Learn to be at peace and happy with what you've got. I hit that really hard, so I'm going to move on. Hold on to that, though. That is super important. Verse 6, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Does that sound nice? Oh, the wrath of God. That's the opposite. He's filling up the cup of his wrath. That is angry, violent hatred poured out on people. He is storing that up for people who make room for that in their lives. Don't do it. Kick, kill it. Push it out. Verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now 
you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Another vice list now. So I gave you some samplings. Here's some more samplings. This is not an exclusive list. If it's not on here, don't worry about it. He's saying, you guys need to understand there's a whole family around sexual sin. Now he's going to have this other family of sin here. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. All these things are sins that are connected. I remember as a teenager, there's no scripture that says I can't say curse words. This is pretty close, guys. And it's not a, a literal, um, it, it's what words are you saying that don't lead to Jesus, that don't make him happy, that don't glorify him, that are just gross? You know, this is, this is something I've seen in my own life. I, I lived for a long time outside of Christ Jesus, and I took a lot of joy in filthy language. I did. And as I came to Christ, that didn't instantly disappear. I was, oh, filthy language, how could you say that word? You know, it still doesn't offend me. It just bores me. It's just not entertaining. It doesn't get a I just find it very blah. Oh, you have to do that to express yourself, huh? Oh, you think that's funny, huh? You ever meet someone that thinks they're really funny and you don't? That's why people hate Christians. The world thinks it's pretty clever, thinks it's pretty, pretty, and then Christians, we're just not impressed with what the world has to offer, are we? They think they're pretty clever, they're pretty smart, they're pretty fun, they're pretty sexy. We look at all of this ostentation and loud noise and we go, that's gross. You know, Christians, we shouldn't be scandalized at the world. <gasps> How could they possibly, you know, it, it, we've been warned. This stuff has been going on since the beginning, since rebellion. The thing is, it's old. It's, it's, it's tacky. It's gross. So, yeah, these, these nasty words coming out of your mouth, that's the least and last of these. Anger, rage. Now, is anger always a sin? In Ephesians it says, be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's okay to get angry about things that God is angry about. That's okay. The problem is whenever we become angry people as a whole. You ever deal with people who say they love Jesus, but they're always angry or complaining about something? It ain't right. Don't be like that. Same with malice. Malice is the intent to do harm. God help you if you're full of malice. Uh, rebuke that. Kill that immediately. Slander is speaking falsely of others. It's not against gossip. Gossip is speaking about somebody when they're not around. You can be a, a charitable and kind gossip. You can speak well of other people when they're not around. Problem is when you're speaking lies about other people. That will separate you from God. Doesn't matter if you know they're a bad person or whatever. Make sure that your words about other people are accurate and honest and charitable. Let's move on. Verse 9, do not lie to each other. Is lying a big deal? Well, children, do you all remember what the ninth commandment is? Do not lie. Yeah, uh... Yeah, you should not bear false testimony. Yeah, that's the version I've had y'all uh, memorize, right? Yeah, so that's lying. Do not lie. Um, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Here he's making the difference. You were this way, now you're not. This is the worldly way, this is the heavenly way. Verse 10, and have put on the new self. You took off the old clothes, you put on the new clothes, you put on the new self, the new man, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You and I are being renewed, you know, so uh, in Romans we're told, be not conformed to this world, 
but rather be renewed in your minds, right? That's the task that you and I are on. So we've already died to self. That doesn't mean we automatically know how to walk in newness of life. That's why the scriptures are written. So that after we have forsaken the world, we can grow in righteousness. What's the word for that? Sanctification. We're growing in holiness together. What does that look like? Read your Bible. Verse 11. Here, he's talking about in the church, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So this, this language of Christ is all and in all, here, um, uh, 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 verse 4 here, he said, when Christ who is your life appears, this all fits with the, the language in, in chapter 1. Do you remember this? The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. That's us. So Jesus, everything was made in, through, by, and for him. He is the center of all creation. He is where our minds should be, remember? Keep your minds in heaven above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Christ Jesus is our life. Christ is all and is in all. That's what we just read in verse 11. Gee, do you think Christians might, should look a bit obsessive about Jesus to this world? You know, here the world, they want to talk about the Oscars. They want to talk about who's in the White House. They want to talk about sports. They want to talk about all these things. Christians, we have something infinitely more interesting than that, and his name is Jesus. And we've got a lot of things to say about Jesus so that the world, if they don't love Jesus, goes, man, those people are obsessed with Jesus. That's what it should be like for you. That's what it should be like for me. Do you have much to say about Jesus? You can tell I do. A lot of people are done with me already today. I'm not done. <laughs> Scythian here might hang some people up. Okay, so barbarian, that word came from Greeks encountering non-Greeks and hearing their language, and that all they heard was bar, 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 bar. That's what it sounded like to them, so they called them barbarians. <laughs> Scythian was known as a particular people group that was especially sinful and unrefined. And Paul is saying, when they enter the church, that distinction does not matter at all. To use Paul's language in Galatians, he says, the middle wall has been broken down. All these divisions the world cares about do not matter. All that matters is, are you alive in Christ, or are you dead in this world? That's all that matters. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. He's talking about us, isn't he? He chose us. God chose us. We're his chosen people. We are loved. God has made us holy. Are we a very blessed people? So as, as you self-identify with this, with God's chosen people, his holy, dearly loved people, clothe yourselves with compassion. This is a virtue list. Finally, we have two vice lists. You don't do that. What do you do? You clothe yourself with compassion. Compassion is not being a sociopath. That's one of the things. Our culture is narcissistic, right? Teaches us to be narcissistic sociopaths. How do you feel? What feels right to you? Do Follow your heart. You know, that's all garbage that leads to hell. Compassion. Consideration for others. Learning to feel what they feel. See how they see things. Don't be a sociopath. 
Compassion, kindness. Kindness is not the same thing as niceness. But kindness is showing charity to people. Whether or not they self-identify as a victim, just treating people the way you want to be treated. Humility is the opposite of pride, right? Not going through, well, here's who I am, here's what I deserve, I'm smart, I'm rich, whatever. But identifying, man, I didn't think I'd be, I didn't do this in Delaware, but how do you self-identify? Jesus, who was God in the flesh, took it not upon himself to lord it over us, but took the form of a slave, of a servant, right? And that's what we're called to do as well when we walk in Christ Jesus. And kindness and humility, gentleness. Jesus' hands were kind hands, doing good to all. I forget the next line, but you get the sense Jesus, even though he was harsh a lot of the time, he also knew kindness and gentleness, right? And the last virtue, the one that so many of us hate, patience. And that's another thing. American culture is really terrible for us. We like getting our stuff. We like it right now. Don't want to wait. Learn to wait. Learn to be patient. Your impatience will kill you, says Put on this new clothing that helps you be patient. Verse 13, this gets even harder. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Raise your hand if you've been forgiven by Christ Jesus. Was it easy for him to forgive you because you're just so adorable, Cody? <laughs> Cody does have an adorable face. But our sins were evil and ugly and not easy to forgive. It came at great cost and great price, and that's why we always hang crosses in the center of Christian worship. We need to remember the terrible price that was paid, the ugly price that was paid for your and my ugly sins. Well, it's a beautiful price that was paid for our ugly sins. So because of that, because of what Christ did for us, we pour out similar blessings upon one another. This is talking about in the church. Isn't it easy to bear with one another? It's so hard. Let me read verse 14, then I got some memes for us to look at. Memes, verse 14. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Also very difficult. It's easy to love somebody when they have an adorable face and they've done nothing wrong. Or they're a cute little kid. But when you see people for what they really are, you know, I, uh, I love this Charles Spurgeon quote. He says, uh, um, do not be angry when someone insults you because you're far worse than they even know. And man, that just punched me in the gut the first time I read it because it's true. They might be mad at me for something they see, but what they don't see is even worse. They might be seeing something that's a lie, but oh my, if you speak to how wretched and nasty I naturally am, I deserve, I'm walking around, I deserve to get a lightning bolt a long time ago. I'm walking around breathing air that I use to sin from time to time. My God who loves me, do you think if he has chosen to love me, I should be able to love you? Even harder, do you think that since Christ has paid the price for you, that you should be able to love me? That we should be able to bear with one another and forgive each other? How many people are walking around the world with church hurt? Someone in the church did me wrong. They didn't act like Christians in the church. I'm done with church. Let's go to that, 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 that uh, yeah. Oh, man, I cut it off at the top a little bit. So 
this is a, theme, uh, a, th a meme format. I never watched this show. I get the sense that this show would not help you get closer to God, but I like memes. So this lady is sitting at the dinner table losing her mind. I don't need to go to church. I can worship God home alone. People are the church, not some building. And so she's losing her mind at this cat who responds, No, the Greek word for church describes the public assembly of believers. Go to church. Let's go to the next one. This is just, I, I could have just typed this up, but I saw this. It's true. Quoting a person, I don't need the church. I study the Bible for myself. Well, that's proof that you don't actually study the Bible for yourself. Why? Because scriptures like this explicitly, emphatically point you into the church. You have this covenant community. Christ is the head of the body, the church. In the church, we bear with one another. We forgive each other. This is the covenant community. It's so silly to say, oh, the church is just the people of God floating around, and we can read our Bibles and not be together. That's so stupid. I know that we've had a cumulative IQ loss in America, but we're still smarter than that, people. You cannot follow Well, let's go on to this Vody Bauckham quote. If a person doesn't love the church, they don't love Jesus. Ow. I'll stand by that. Online world, pass this around. If you don't love the church, you don't love Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that everything the church does is sinless and perfect. We are the bride of Christ. We're not Christ. We're the body of Christ in the world. We should be better than we are. But even so, I love this church. I love Christ's church. Do you love this church? Do you love church? Do you hunger to be with your brothers and sisters? Or is this kind of like, this is my Sunday morning thing. That's what I've always done. They're all right. I might sleep in today. I'm kind of sleepy. I had one more meme. This is a quote from Tom Askell. Find a healthy local church and build your life around it. We will uproot our lives for a job. We will move for school opportunities. But we will not build our lives around a healthy local church. Isn't that true? And it's really weird because what we assume is anywhere we go, there are these church buildings, right? And you can go to anyone, and they all read the same Bible, and they're all pretty good. And that's actually not true. As since I started this plain spoken ministry, I don't know how many of you follow me, but on, on YouTube, I've got 30, almost 3,200 subscribers now. And I do a live stream every Friday where there's always at least 40 people on at one point in time or another. And I got people writing me emails, and you wouldn't believe, I've heard from probably over 100 people at this point, I want to worship at a church like you describe, but there is not one anywhere close. I've gone to every single church, and it's full of phonies. We can't do small group discipleship. We don't preach on the fullness of the Bible. The people don't know each other, and they don't want to know each other, and they take offense when I try and build these ministries in the local church. What do I do? And I have to say, I don't know. You have to build your own true church then. Isn't that sad? You have these dozens, if not hundreds, of church buildings around full of phonies. That's why I love this church so much. We're not phony. Y'all don't ask. I never, from week to week, get people asking me to cool it down or water it down or make more room for people who'd be offended. Those people left. What we've got left here is people who want to know what the Bible says, they want to live their lives by it. They feel convicted by it. But they trust in their Lord Jesus, and they trust that we're going to follow him together here.
And so I don't care if we're not the biggest church in town. I don't care if everybody has nice things to say about me or not. In fact, if everybody hates me, it's worth it if we can have one true church here. But this is the scriptural instruction. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Let everything you do be governed by love. We're not going to finish the chapter, so don't, don't look at your watch. We're just going to do one more paragraph, and then we're going to pick up where we left off next week. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of the body you were called to peace. What body is he talking about? The church, yeah. You're called to peace. That means not being violent. That means not complaining or turning against others. That means chilling out. Keeping your mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Trusting in God. Since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. We've covered this plenty before, haven't we? We live in the most blessed place that this earth has ever seen. The most blessed. We are more materially blessed. We have more things at our resources, at our, our fingertips. And yet we're so miserable. And it's because we're dealing with a spiritual problem, not a material problem. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing with God to God with gratitude in your hearts. What is the purpose of music here? This is a pretty key passage. And if I'd been thinking clearly, I would have put one more meme in here. I had a whole... Me and my Whitney saw it. She liked it. This, uh, we have a phenomenon right now led primarily by Hillsong Church, but tons of other big mega churches that have these amazing concert experiences with laser light shows and fog machines, and you can't even hear the, or see the people around you because of this huge presentation up here. And what this, I can't remember how it phrased it, but there are so many people who say that they want to worship the Lord, but actually what they're worshiping is music. And the phenomenon didn't begin with contemporary music. There, there, you find this with almost every musical style where people just are not going to be open to God unless you soothe them with the right genre of music. That is not the role of music. What's the role of music? It says in verse 16, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through these means. The songs we sing should teach us true doctrine and correct us when we're off base. And if we're singing songs that just feel really good, then we're wasting everybody's time, including God's. I hope that one gets passed around online too. That's fun. Because we think the music is for us. It's not. It's for God. And fine, if we're saying the same nice thing about God 40 times, which is, I can't stand contemporary music. But if, that, if that's what we're talking about, you know, we've got better things to do. But if we're talking about true doctrine, if we're singing the Psalms, which we need to do more of. Hey, Jesse, be quiet back there. Y'all quit playing. I'm preaching. Shh. Who's still talking? Quit. Oh, it's Zachary. He can't even hear me. Here's the last phrase. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So once again, we're going to come back to this common theme. Everything is about Jesus. He is the source. He is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He is our spiritual brother. He's the one who paid the price for our sins. He's the main character of our life. Amen? Children, what is our only hope in life and death? 
We've been bought at a price. Jesus is the center of our lives. And it's one thing to say that and say, I'm dead to myself, I'm alive in him. What does that mean? That's what today's sermon was on. What is guiding your life? What principles do you live by? Are you still in the flesh, dead in your sins, or are you alive in Christ? Reflect on this message as you go home. In the meantime, we're going to do another biblical thing together. We're going to eat. So I hope you can stay and visit and build one another up. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Let's be the church. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds, number 306.